Um, but this morning, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. And uh, we, y'all know last week was an incredible week for us as a church, right? Amen. Amen. I, ho- I hope you can say amen to that. That uh, during the, the, the Encourage Conference, we had such a wonderful time. Uh, the guest speakers that came, but just the body of Christ, the speakers on Saturday from our own church, the fellowship. There was such a blessing and a work of God in the church. And it was an incredible time. And so we as pastors just really felt, and really by Pastor Lee's leadership, really felt that we wanted to not just jump off of that immediately and say, okay, we'll move away from a conference. But to kind of uh, bring back up some of the things that God spoke to us and to stir them within us. Because I know, and you probably probably know that a lot of times when you, God does things in our life or you have a conference, you have a moment, uh, by Tuesday, the enemy is already like, I'm taking it all or trying to take it all. And it's a battle. And uh, we believe that God instilled things and put things in our heart. And we want to stir these things continually in us towards that. And so today's going to be a little bit different where it's going to be, um, I'll be speaking Andrew and Pastor Lee, but just for a few brief moments. And I would ask you that as we speak, guys, that we really respond to what the Lord is saying. And I, I would say you did respond in the conference, and I thank you for that. But let's continue to respond. And so anyway, let's just pray for a moment and ask the Lord to touch our hearts. And, and I'll share with you just very briefly. But Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, God. And Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you for the privilege, God, of being your children. Thank you that many of us in this room can say today, God, that you did pick us up. And turned our lives around, God. And now we're walking in a way of life, God, that we never could have dreamed of, God. But you have been our deliverer, our savior, our friend, and our father. And Lord, we just praise you. And we thank you for what you've done in the last week in our church at the Encouraged Conference. Thank you for the faith that was stirred. Thank you for the work of God that was done in many lives. And the people that gave testimony of the deliverances that, God, you did in their lives and marriages. And just many things, Lord. We give all the glory to you. It's not a man's talent or a man's ability that produced any of that or a team of people, God, but it is your presence and your power. And we thank you that your presence visited us faithfully because you always do. And we ask, God, that we would never take it for granted, God, that we would continue to be a church, God, that, th- that is thankful and praising you for the presence of God continually to be in our midst. So we love you. We ask that you would help us to hear the words that you wish to speak to us today. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 24 and What I just want to say to you very quickly today is I just want to encourage us um, in regards to some of the things that typically we face after a a conference or an event or something of significance in our life. I know that for many Christians, um, when when God does a work in you or you come and you're like, man, that conference, I was so refreshed and strengthened and encouraged. Um, It doesn't take long, but maybe a week or two later that you feel like, gosh, my life just feels like it's in a whirlwind all over again. And uh, maybe what it felt like God put in your life at the conference is already being taken away. And I know that sometimes that can be a challenge for many of us. And so I'm just going to be honest with you. I want to speak to you very pastorally in a way today to just admonish you, to encourage you, um, even to warn you in a sense to not fall in a certain direction that many people do after significant events in their life with God. And I want to say this before I get into this because I don't want you to come. I don't want it to come across that I'm against events. Clearly, what we did as a com- for the conference was a wonderful event that God came and did and moved. But I want us to understand this: that it is not that we live for the events or moments or experiences, but we live after the presence of God daily. And that's really what I want to stir us to, is that what God did is he gave us something that was special, wonderful, and I pray that you were ministered to, but I pray that that would not be the thing that you chase is a conference or some experience, but you would chase the presence of God because that is the only thing that we find to be satisfying. So in Exodus chapter 24, 
To give you a little bit of background of what's happening here, God has delivered the Israelites from Egypt. He has brought them through all the way to Mount Sinai. And in this moment in chapter 19, he's going to make a covenant with them and he's going to make them his people and they're going to say yes to him. And they do that. And during the following chapters after what happens is God lays down the terms of the covenant with them. He's going to tell the the priests what they have to wear, all of these sort of things, what the people will do, what they can eat, not eat, all the things that we learn about in the covenant. But there's a significant scene that has always just grabbed my heart since I've been a little boy when I read this and because I, I was just an awe and wonder. But in Exodus 24, what happens is there's kind of this pause in this moment where God is giving all of these instructions and such and where you see this little event take place where God calls the elders of Israel and Moses up to meet with him. Before this, only Moses was the one that met with God in this sense. They didn't quite go up on the mountain. Only Moses did that. But they did have a meeting with him. And I want you to see this in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under, they were under his feet as it was a pavement of sapphire stone. Just want you to consider this moment when you look at that verse. They were with God in such a way that they saw, it says they saw the God of Israel and were under his feet. And the words they use is like pavement of sapphire of stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Like, I, I don't even, I can't even fathom what that scene looks like. I don't understand it, but I can tell you this right now. This is an event. This is an incredible event that these men of God, the people of God are getting to enjoy and be a part of. Verse 11 says, and it says, he did not, speaking of, he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, but they beheld God and they ate and drank. In other words, what you see is this scene in Exodus here where God has called the elders up to meet with him and have an encounter with him that is absolutely glorious. And I would imagine many of us would honestly want to be a part of. Truth is, we can have a better experience because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But maybe we would read that and we would envy that and we'd look at this and say, Oh my goodness, look at how incredible this scene is. They literally ate and drank in the presence of God. He was with them. They saw God. Like, I don't even understand it all. But when I read that, I think this was an incredible event. But the truth is, the reason why I read this scripture to you is because I know that what we just came off of was an incredible event or an incredible experience, an incredible conference that God has given us. And I believe this, God gifted those men with that. I believe that that was meant to be something for them that would carry them on for them to say, we met God in a way we've never met him before and we're in love with him and we want to continue forward with him. But the trap is for many believers, and I would say the people of God, just like it was for them, is that what happens is is that you have an experience with God or an event with God, and you immediately go back to the mundane and no longer pursue the presence of God. Because within just a few chapters over, you can look at it yourself in Exodus chapter 32. These same men that you read about in this encounter find themselves building a golden calf. They lived, for, in a sense, for the big emotional highs of Christianity or for the people of God, chasing these experiences, but not living for the day-to-day. I want God's presence. God's presence. I want an intimate, daily walk with God that is so much greater than a week or two days or one day in a moment. But with Jesus, every day is so much greater. And I, th- and I just say that to you as a pastor, not to say, like, again, I'm not saying anything bad about conferences. I'm saying this because I know the trap will be for us to, maybe some of you have already experienced it, the trap will be to go back and be like, well, that was a nice shot in the arm, but it's done. 
It should be like Moses, on the other hand, very different. When you read that scene, Moses was there too. Moses was part of that. And one of the things that you read about Moses in all of his life is that Moses was one who often would go just to be with God. These men, we don't read any other encounter about God up after this point to, uh, to the golden calf. They're, they're making an idol. They're serving things because they're living after experiences. But Moses, we know, goes to be with God. Joshua goes to be with God. He doesn't participate in that. And, they just, and, and, and it's this life of saying that, hey, yeah, we do have moments that we ought to be grateful for and that should really boost us forward in our Christian faith and our life after God. But those moments in themselves cannot be the strength of our faith in God or our pursuit of God. The moments should be that Jesus is the joy of my life. Like Pastor Lee preached, I believe, I think it was Thursday or Wednesday, I don't remember, one of them. And he preached and he talked about how Moses would give up the, 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 the riches of Egypt so that he could be with God and God's people. That we'd give up everything so that we could just be with God on a daily basis. That he would be the pursuit of our life. And so when you look at chapter 32, we're not going to read it, but when you look at it, you see these men who had an incredible experience that I think God gave them as a gift, but they did nothing with it. But in, ver- but in chapter 33, you read about Moses, and you read about his life, and you read about different things. And obviously Moses, there's clearly a difference that that wasn't his case. But in verse 11 of chapter 33, you see this statement about Moses where it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when I read that, I recognize that there was something different about Moses, that his life was one that was continually pursuing the face of God, continually pursuing friendship with God, and not just mountaintop experiences. And you know what the beauty is? That Moses had plenty of those too. But there were probably moments where Moses just went into the tent of meeting and just sat. And maybe there wasn't fireworks, and maybe there wasn't explosions, but he said, your face I desire. Your presence I desire in church. This is what I just want to tell you as a pastor and a friend to you. And even from my own life, let us continue to pursue him forward. And not just because there was a hard push at a conference. Let us be people that are so in love with Jesus that desire him and say, we're going to seek you every day because you are the only one that satisfies. I believe Moses knew very clearly that the experience in itself was not the satisfaction. it It was just him. It was just him. It's why Moses would ask, can I see you? And the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of Moses' life, this is how it describes Moses. It says, There's never, there was never at that time a, a prophet since Israel, like Moses in all those days, one whom the Lord knew face to face. And none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt and to Pharaoh and to all the servants and all his land. And this is what I, when I read this, I read these things. It talks about the mighty power that Moses did or God used them to do. And I see this, is that the one who chooses to be intimate with God daily is the one who God really uses. And if you want to be used by God and you want to live for God in these end time moments and serve God, it's not just getting emotional highs or a conference in itself. It's learning to live in a place of intimacy with God on a daily basis that draws you there. But here's the problem is that for many Christians, that doesn't seem to be enough. And we do pursue the emotional highs and maybe we do all these things and we get frustrated. And I was thinking about this in my own life and I just want to give you a picture of this. Um, if I can get it out of my pocket. What is here? Is that if you could think about, goodness gracious. If you could think about, can you get me that Papa CJ? I need that. If you can think about these things that many Christians do and maybe we don't as a church, maybe you don't. But it's all over the nation. And people are being deceived more and more now. 
is that if you could imagine we could go to these conferences and, and, and you know, it, it feels like a million dollars kind of thing. You get a million dollars. And, and, and if you were to ask somebody, man, would you want, if you ask this question to people today all the time now, right, would you rather a million dollars today or a penny that doubles every day for the, rest, uh, for the, for the next year, what would, you, what would you want? Everybody wants the million dollars because it's instant gratification, it's like, I want to go to that conference because I want that instant gratification. I want that thing. I want to, I want to seek something like that. But the reality is, is that, if, and I, you might not know this, but if you are someone who understands that if you get a penny and that one penny, you, you double it every single day for a month, you'll have more than a million dollars within 28 days. It's hard to believe. I mean, you know, one, two, what is it, four, eight, uh, 16, 32, 64, 112. Like it, it just, it's stacked. By day 28, you have over a million dollars. And this is what I thought about when I was picturing this, is that many people, they would rather instant gratification of just like, I want this emotional moment when Moses would say, I just want to daily get in the presence of God. And that compounding, I guess you could say, interest of being with God is where you find the riches of life. Presence of God himself. And that that would push us forward to, to such a degree where it's there, we find the joy, we find life, we find all that God wants for us. And I say all of this to you because my, my, my heart and my, my desire is more of, I guess, to encourage you, but to warn you, don't fall for, like, if maybe you're already saying, I already feel empty, then just get to the presence of God. You don't have to wait to 2024, or is it 20, what year is it? <laughs> I have four kids now, guys. I woke up like four times last night from Whatever year it is, next time we have a conference or the conference down the road or the conference out of town, Get to God. Just go to his presence. And that will compound and grow. And I believe that's what Moses' life was. And because of the end of his life, they could say there was nobody that God used like Moses. Because he knew God like a friend and God knew him like a friend. And God was able to do what he wanted to do through Moses. And I say all this to you, and to leave you with the last thing is this. For all of this to happen presence of God, getting intimate with God. It's simple as this, kind of what Stephen McKay spoke to us about. All it requires is just to give God our hearts. It's not that you go and you twist God's arm for intimacy. I've tried that. I've tried to twist God's arm for intimacy. It's just acknowledging and putting yourself in a position for God to do what he wants to do. And you say, God, I'm here. Whatever you want, let it be. Let it be today. And you have my heart. And I don't even feel like you have my heart, but I'm going to say that you have my heart. From out of my mouth, uh, out of my mouth, the heart will speak. And I'm going to declare, God, give, I give you my heart today. And so for the next few minutes, Ethan, you can play. For the next few minutes, I'll just say this to you. Right now, could we just take a moment and just maybe just re-stir up in your own faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to stir up. What did God put in you in the conference? Does it already feel like it's being taken away? Does it already feel like the enemy's after these things? Does it already, do you already feel like, hey, I'm just back to where I was? This isn't what God wants for you. He wants that conference. And what it was is a beautiful conference where he experienced the power and the presence of God. We saw marriages restored. We saw people give testimony about they were ready to throw away their faith, a young man told me. And that was intended not just for that one moment, but to boost him forward to evermore pursue and know the presence of God and the joy of God in an intimate relationship. So I encourage us right now, um, if we could just, could you stand? Could we stand? And could you, or maybe for some of you, maybe even kneel. I would just say this. If you want to come to the altars, you can come to the altars. But just kneel if you can. If you can't, stand, whatever you need to do. And just say, God, I give you my heart. 
I don't want to be a Christian that only pursues you when it's a hyped up time and the the conference is going or something like this is going. But I want to be a Christian that pursues you day in, day out. I don't want to be like those men that got to eat in your presence and found themselves building idols within eight chapters later. But I want to be a man like Moses that sat in your presence and ate in your presence and was with you and continued to pursue you. And then the testimony of my life was that you were able to use me far greater than I could have imagined because I was your friend and I knew you face to face. So just make that your confession. Make that your cry to God this morning.
Kind of exciting today. It's wonderful. I know the Lord's speaking to us already. It's kind of neat to have different people preaching on the same Sunday. And uh, what's really neat is that the message that the Lord gave me is just so similar to what the Lord already spoke through Felix. I want to talk to y'all just briefly uh, about the steady pursuit of God's heart. Um, if you just go a little bit further and you open up to the book of 1 Samuel and go to chapter 2. This is during the days of the judges. Does anyone remember what the key theme was that was repeated again and again in the book of the judges? That every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it even got to the priesthood. That's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And people often look at the end of judges and they're like, how could this happen? And the concubine gets chopped up and all of this stuff. And you're like, what in the world is doing my Bible? But it was to emphasize every person did what was right in their own eyes. And this is where it leads you uh, in humanity. And in Eli, we see whenever we give favoritism and we do what's right in our own eyes, even with our own families, our own children, and we put that above God, this is where it ends up. And if you read there in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. 
how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's not, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. It wasn't a secret thing. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can to intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. But then we see a transition. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So really it was in Eli's hands. He could have removed his sons. He could have stopped them. He was a pathetically weak man. And you know, I am a pathetically weak man. All of us are pathetically weak people apart from the grace of God. But in him, we can do all that must be done to rescue ourselves and our families, and to live for him and for his glory. So it didn't have to end this way. Unfortunately, Eli, even though he spoke the truth, he he knew what was right. He didn't do what was right. His heart was closed off to God. It was a heart issue. He loved his children, and he loved the fat meat portions that he got from the sacrifices more than he loved honoring the word of God, the heart of God. So a man of God comes to Eli and says, you know, the Lord, he, he brought you here. He delivered the house of Israel from Pharaoh. He even set you up to be a, a priest here. And now you're going to be judged. In verses 27 to 29, it says specifically, uh, you scorn my sacrifices. You scorn my offerings. You knew my will. It was written down in the word of God. And then he skips ahead and he says this, He says, I'm going to seek after someone here. Verse 35 to 36, I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. He will do what, listen to this, whatever is in my heart and mind. He will do whatever is in my heart and in my mind. God is not just a dispenser of commands like Pastor Lee so beautifully read today. He has a heart. He has a heart. There are things, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're created in his image. From his heart, he spoke the word of God. This is his heart. We say, I want to know your heart, God. When is the last time we picked up our Bibles consistently? If, if I neglect my wife, and, and all of us have been guilty of neglecting our spouse, even to some degree, right? Where you've gone a couple of weeks, things have been busy, and it's like, wow, I feel like I, I haven't really seen you lately. How are you, old friend? But what about the Lord? He wants time with us. He actually wants to talk to us. He, he has the desire. It's pent up in him. If only I had a man or woman I could talk to. It's not like he's this nervous God and he, he gets frustrated in that. But it's that he loves to do that. And if the purposes of God are ever to be fulfilled in the earth... A man or a woman have to hear his voice. And Eli had shut himself off from hearing God's voice. He got so used to coming into the house of God and just doing what he was supposed to do. And perhaps you're in a leadership position or not, but you come to the house of God. We come to the house of God and it's just the ritual. It's just a ritual. Or we have our Bible reading plan, which I think are excellent and necessary in our lives, But we come there without expectation. We come there to put that 
oh, sacred check mark in my box to give me some self-worth for the day like I've accomplished something. When it, instead of just saying, God, here I am, and I'm going to read 1 Samuel 2, 3, and 4 today because that's my daily reading, would you really talk to me? And then he begins to talk to you because there's that expectation of faith and from your own heart that you are the God who speaks and who wants to express your heart. And so we see here God wanted someone who would listen to his heart and give him what he desired. And so he raised up Samuel. And then he eventually would raise up David. And what was David known for? A man after what? God's own heart. What it really meant was his heart is open enough, consistently enough, that we can have an intimate friendship and a relationship. And that's what we heard throughout this whole conference. Stephen said it very beautifully. Check your heart. What's in your heart? Is the word of God not enough? I was listening to that. I had to miss it. I was doing the kids ministry, you know, but I missed that. I listened to it on the way to men's retreat. Is the word of God enough? Is his heart written down enough? Eli knew from the word that he had what God desired. But he despised that. When he despised that, he in a way seared his heart to hearing the word of God come to him by the Holy Spirit outside of the word of God. It said that the word of God was very few and far between. No open vision in that day. But then when Samuel comes, he honored God according to the word. And then he began to hear God also by the Holy Spirit. He, he had the fullness of of what God desired. And that's what God wants for us. Jesus was that truest high priest. Samuel, sure, that's what the prophecy was about. I'm going to raise up a high priest who will hear my voice. But what did we hear about all this conference? And what did Jesus exemplify? He got away from the crowds and he'd go to be with his father. He loved the word of God. He meditated on the word of God because he was fully God, but he was also fully man. He developed in stature as a man. He hid the word of God in his heart as a man. He meditated on it and he preached it as a man. He knew his father and he knew him in intimacy through prayer. And God wants that in us, not prayer for prayer's sake. Intimacy with God for God's sake for his heart, because we love him, not out of a sense of duty. A sense, a sense of discipline is good because it gets me to the place of God and it tells me to put down my phone, look my wife in the eye and say, how is your day today? But then the sense of discipline disappears as I enjoy the friendship, as I enjoy hearing her heart. And as then I enjoy being with God. Opening up the book of Ruth and you're crying all the way through it because all you see is Jesus as your redeemer. You know, you didn't expect that. You just went there. But that faith and expectation. Jesus was that, that true high priest, the one who always did what his father asked. And so I want to encourage us today that what we've heard is what God wants. What is in his heart is he, he is looking for us day after day. Would you just come be with me? Would you come and hear my heart? What might God do in your families, my family? What might he do in us after we've kind of prayed through our list if we just go with him and say, here I am. 
I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this beautiful sunset and marvel at your creation. Or this morning, I'm going to go and I'm going to look at the stars. And like Felix said, you're not wowed. You're, you're not. You just sit there and you just, you just ponder it. But what you're doing is you're giving the Lord fertile ground to work in. And there will be a harvest. Because in that fifth time you went out to go look at the stars, your jaw literally drops open. And you can't speak for a minute because you're just like, oh my goodness. And you hear God speak. Welcome to my throne. This is my footstool. And there's this intimate moment with the Lord. And you're like, this is awesome. God has a heart. And he wants to talk to you. He loves you. You are so special to him. Even if you're here and you don't know the Lord, he is seeking to adopt you into this relationship with him. That you might walk with him and be his beloved. And so I want to ask us today, and, and I just thank y'all so much for all y'all do. I think your greatest sacrifice of worship might just be sitting there not falling asleep. <laughs> because you've poured yourselves out for this entire week before here. And you honor the Lord. And then you're, you're there. Thank you so much. We love y'all. But if you, amen. If you just come, I just want to ask us this question. What is there that's blocking my heart? What is there that's in the way? And let God define that. Because you could be like, you know what? I'm going to delete Instagram app and Facebook app, whatever else apps, all the things that I do on my phone. And that might be good. But if God's not doing the work, he's not dealing with the root cause. What is it that would kind of stifle that relationship? And you can't give yourself that heart. But what you can say is, and what I can say is, here is my heart. Would you do this in me? I'm willing to be willing if you'll do it in me. I'm not even willing, but I'm willing to be made willing, whatever that means. Whatever that means. So if we could just respond to the Lord, if you want to come forward, stand up where you are, whatever you do, if we would, just let's just respond to him and ask him that, and that we adhere his heart.
came to Thomas and they said when you were away Jesus came to us and I can only imagine what they were explaining to to Thomas they said he just stood right there and we saw the nail prints in his hands we touched him and we just want you to know Thomas that that Jesus is alive And Thomas said to them, he said, "Uh, that's just not going to get it for me um, unless I can touch the nail print in his hands and thrust my fist through his side. I won't believe. I'm just, I just won't believe. And it was almost suddenly in that moment that Jesus appeared and he went right to Thomas and he said, Thomas, don't doubt. But believe, look at my hands and the scars. Look at, look at my side, Thomas. Thrust your fist through it. Know it's me and don't doubt. And Thomas, in responding to Jesus, responds with really a life-changing declaration. It's very simple, but he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those that have not seen, but they believe. That's us. We haven't seen that. We haven't touched that. We haven't seen the scars in his hands. We haven't thrust our fist through his side. He hasn't appeared to us in the way that he appeared to the apostles. But we believe we're here tonight or today as believers. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get on these little trails and we confuse our relationship with God. We recognize sin in our life. We recognize failure in our life. We recognize problems in our life. We we recognize how people treat us or how we get offended or how great things may happen in our life and blessings might go on in our life. All of the variety of things that life brings. But when Jesus stood before Thomas, the only thing that was at issue, don't doubt me. Believe. Believe me. 
And with all of the issues that are in your life, all of the questions that you have, the experiences that you've had with God that are great, the times in your life when you've cried out to God wondering, where is he? The times that God has shown up. And sometimes, as it appears to us, the times that God has failed. Not that he actually has, but in our estimation, God didn't come through for me. And all of those times, which we could run forever down those trails of why, what if, why not, where are you, do you care? We could run down all of those trails. The only issue is, don't doubt me. Believe. Believe in me. And Jesus by no means stood there with Thomas and said, you know what? I'm going to do this with everyone that, that will follow you. He didn't. He did not say that there's going to be a personal encounter with me where you can touch my scars or thrust your fist through my side. It's, it's not going to happen. The majority of people that are going to live and come to me are going to have to do it on the basis of the testimony and the reality of my resurrection. And there'll be a multitude who believe, though they have not seen. And Jesus would consider them very blessed. And that's us. Your believers. And if that's the issue in our life, don't doubt but believe, then it really kind of narrows down the main conflict of your life, and that is to doubt. To get you to a place where you are not a believer, but you're an unbeliever, or perhaps a skeptic. And so there are things that go on in your life every day that Satan will weave himself into to cause us to question God, question our salvation, question our future. How can you believe God for your future when you can't believe God for your today? How can you believe God's going to change your destiny when he can't change your heart? He can't change your life. He can't change your problems. And yet we hear testimonies from people that would stand up and say, well, God changed me. And the very people that would stand up and say, well, God changed me, would also admit that there are very real things in their life that they continue to struggle with. We just like to take the one thing or the two things or the few things that God has dramatically released me from and say, look what God did for me. But the God that delivered us from the one, the two, the few things is going to be and is the God that's going to deliver me from everything. Everything. But the issue, the issue is, don't doubt me, but believe. And as we are an end times people, and as we've come through this conference, I would pray with all of my heart that you would be serious believers. And I was thinking about that. What could I exhort you with this morning 
And I just kept coming to Paul's last word to Timothy. And if you'd read it with me, it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And here's a man who did not have the kind of experience that the other apostles had. He was never around Jesus. He had a unique experience with Jesus. We will not deny that. He spent three years with Jesus in Asia being taught of the Lord. But um, here's a man that just came to Christ through faith like every one of us do. But this is a, this is a life that's changed. And I just want to point a few things out to you for last days. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. I wanted to, I wanted to point this out. This is not so much a warning to the audience about the preacher. As it is a warning to the preacher about the audience. This is what the people are going to want in the last days. The time will come when they will heap to themselves the teachers that speak things they want to hear. Be careful that you're not influenced by the audience. Preach the word. Do it in season. Do it out of season. But preach the word. I'd like to read this from the Amplified, just very quickly. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand, be ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. That's not easy. That's not easy for a preacher. But may I dare say, it's not easy for our generation. We are way too soft, too easily offended for the word of God to come forth with, with authority and power that deals with, with us in our life, we, we love to maybe have a preacher preach a strong message about them, but not about me. And not only is the word coming from the preacher to the people, but the same word goes to the preacher. And oftentimes we don't like to hear it where we're, where we're wrong and we need to be right. I beg you, be, be a people, be a congregation that is not intimidated to understand that you have not 
been transformed into the image of Jesus yet. And don't be offended with the truth of God's word. Don't be so weak, so soft that when those who are heralding the word of God in these last days are preaching the truth and it cuts like a knife into your heart, that you shun that or you reject that or you repel that because of the difficulty it is to swallow it. Let it happen. Be the congregation that allows the truth of God to come to your life and pierce you. But be the congregation that falls before God in the same moment to help you with his grace and mercy in that time of need. The word of God does not come to simply tell us how we're wrong, but the Holy Spirit comes to give us the grace, the strength, the endowment of power to not on our own and not by our own effort to do what's right now, but to fall before a God who, as Andrew said, can make an unwilling heart willing to receive that word. So that time will come when, when this will happen and furthermore, he says this in, I'm, I'm continuing in the Amplified Bible, it says, and convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them, being inexhaustible in your patience and your teaching. Because that's what it's going to take. And I think we need to help each other like that, speaking the word in love being very, very patient with one another because sometimes we hear the word and we hear the truth and we know that that's the truth, but we immediately get offended because we hate to be told what we're wrong. Let's just deal with it. We, we, we do. We don't like that. So let's give some space. If, if we don't respond, maybe in that second, the way we're supposed to respond, let the Holy Spirit marinate on our life with that rebuke or that conviction that he brought. And maybe tonight we'll be responding because the Holy Spirit's worked on us through the day, or maybe this particular week, we will begin to respond to God the way that the Holy Spirit is working on us to respond. But let's have an incredible amount of patience as we're helping one another to walk right and to be right. And he goes on and he says, for the time is coming when people will not tolerate sound, enduring, wholesome doctrine, but having itching ears, looking for something pleasing and gratifying. They will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number. These teachers chosen by the people to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold. And they will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. As for you, be calm and cool and steady. Accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fully perform all the duties of your ministry. And I just wanted to read that section from the Amplified Bible. Um, and I, I want to say, I want to say to you guys... I beg you with all of my heart that the love that you have for Jesus, please love his word. Please love it. 
Not just the parts that are easy to swallow, but love the parts that are difficult to swallow. Be on your guard and watch because not everybody has the spirit of Christ, though they confess to be a messenger of Christ. I have never experienced, I have never seen more witchcraft in the church of Jesus Christ than I do today. I spend a lot of my week speaking with ministers and pastors of the very real danger and the very real error that is going on. A few years ago, primarily around 2016 with the elections and, and, and the election of, of the president and Trump was being heralded by so many YouTube prophets. And it was like a door opened up to such heresy and such error that it seemed there was a commonality that preachers and people and Christians were hearing things they wanted to hear but they were hearing it from people that they would have considered an absolute heretic just a day or a month earlier, and they would have never listened to them because we don't know our word. I'm asking you not to study the Bible, just to study the Bible. I'm asking you to love this. I'm asking you to let it be life to you. Let it be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I'm asking you to know the truth And you don't have to be obsessed with error. Just know the truth. And the truth will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Know it. Know the spirit of the word of God. Not just the doctrines of truth. But know the spirit of God's word. Because the spirit of God's word brings life. And the letter of God's word will kill. Know the spirit of God's word. I I beg you to do it. And have the capacity. Have the have the enduring strength to be able to be confronted and to be corrected because if our God is good, he's going to correct us. If our God is good, he's going to warn us. And if our God is good, he's going to chasten us when our behavior is not the behavior that becomes of Jesus Christ. God is good. And he will do those things for us. So that was Paul's admonition to his son in the faith for the last days. And and I would say that for us, an admonition for us in the last days. That we could have encouragement and strength. And I'll, I'll tell you this, you won't love this if you don't love Jesus. You just won't. Because it's the revelation of Jesus. Everything in it is about him. And it provides a mirror for us to see what we really are. But I want to conclude with just a few more things that Paul says about himself. This is a man who believes. This is a believer. This is a man who is not among the the 12 apostles that witnessed the events of Jesus' life and had a personal experience of his crucifixion. He wasn't there for any of that, like we were not there for any of that, but this is a man who believed. And this is what I believe faith should do. I believe, and I pray for faith to do this in me. I'm not, I'm not there, but I aspire to this. I, I, I strive and long and pray and cry for God to, to do this in my life. 
In some ways, I can identify with Paul, as I know many of you can, but let's just read it together. This is in verse 6. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And why is he ready? I fought a good fight. I finished my course, and I've kept the faith. God gave me something to do. By the grace of God, I've done it. My faith came under attack, but I've kept it. Because I know and I knew where to put it. For I am confidently persuaded in whom I have believed. And that he is able to keep all that I committed unto him. He is the author and he is the finisher of my faith. And all of the hell that I went through in this life that tried to make me not believe him, he kept me. He sustained me. And I have fought. This has not been easy. This has not been a pleasure ride. They didn't give me the keys to a city. They gave me the prison, the jail. They threw me in it. The churches wanted nothing to do with me. People were embarrassed of me. Many times in my life, I stood all by myself. You talk about hard. You talk about wanting to throw your faith away. You talk about wondering where God is. You talk about the accusations of Satan. And Paul wouldn't have it. But I fought. I ran. I finished. Oh, to finish. To finish. You can eat with God today. Build a calf tomorrow. Finish, beloved. Finish. I was riding on a plane with Brother Clinton and, and we're sitting beside each other and he just turns to me and he says, Brother Ship, do you know what the greatest temptation of old age is? And I said, no, sir, I'm not old. But I suppose you'll tell me. And he said, I will. And he said, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. He said, for me to think that I could stand before God because of the school of Christ rather than the blood of Jesus. To think that I could stand before God because of what I did rather than what Jesus did for me. To shift my faith to myself rather than him. And I learned and I began to pray, God, keep me from that unbelief. Finish, beloved. Finish what he's given you to do. You're tired? Finish. Nobody's running with you? Run. Finish. Do it alone if you have to. Finish. What has he called you to? Finish. Well, nobody likes me. Finish. It's not easy. Finish. Do it. He's equipped you and he's given you the power of his spirit to do it. And the fight. Paul lived in brokenness and weakness and feebleness. He was in death often. He despaired for his life. 
He was in prison. He was beat too many times to number. He did say, I was whipped five times by the Jews. Three times I was beat with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I floated in the ocean for a night and a day. Traveled so much. And I've been in danger in rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers among my own people. Dangers with the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers in the sea. Dangers among false brothers. And all the labor. The hardships. Sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst. And often I had to go without food. Many times I had no clothes. I was exposed to the cold and the weather and so much exposure. And all I can think about with this man who believed, because only a believer is going to go through that. How do you do that? How does a man live that way? Why would a woman live that way? Why would an Amy Carmichael live that way? Because they saw somebody. You don't, you, you don't do that for anything, Led. You don't do that for the words on a book or doctrines on a tablet or for your, your section or your denomination. You don't do that for that. This, whom this reveals somehow has to step off the pages into your life and say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And, and your whole life changes. That's why you do that. Think about the achievement of Paul, the ministry, his accomplishments, the range of his ministry, the depth of his knowledge, the scope of his influence. He's mightier today than he was when he was alive. He was forsaken by the people. He was, he was an embarrassment to the churches. And yet today his letters are read all over the world taught in universities and schools in all of the languages of the world. 2,000 years later, they're talking about a man named Paul. And if you would have asked Paul, tell me your secret. Come on, man, tell me your secret. How do you go through all this? One day I met him. He knocked me off my horse. And all I've ever wanted was to know him from that moment on. That's all I want is that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering. That's all I want. And I think that's why a man has this kind of reach. And I pray to God that God could do something like that in our life. So he comes to the end of his life and he says to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Nero's fame will fade in his light. His thoughts will influence the teaching of schools on every continent. His letters will be read in thousands of languages and impact every major creed. Few have loved God so fully as Paul. 
few have burned so intense with passion. And his goal was not success, but to win the prize. And the prize to Paul was to know Christ. Oh, for the burning heart, the burning heart that maybe doesn't look for the next conference. It looks for the next moment when I could just slip away and get with him. Just be with him. I just want to be with him. I just want to sit with the Lord. And so today, for us, be careful. Because not everything you hear and not everything that's out there and not everything that's being preached in the name of Jesus is coming from Jesus. There's a lot of deception. And don't be so weak and so soft that you have to be careful with tender fingers and tender hands. Let the word of God have its effect in your life, knowing that God loves me, even if he has to say something strong to me. And people that will dare come into your life with patient, kind love and say, can I talk to you about something? And they're coming to you in this meekness and the spirit of Christ, and they're willing. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. Just to be able to sit with you and say, can I just share something with you? Because I love you and I have a concern for you. Don't push that away. Don't be one of these end times people that says, no, I'm looking for somebody. Just tell me a good story. Give me some man-made myth that, that's just going to make me happy. I say, no, I, I want Christ. I want the Lord. I want his word. Don't hold back on me. Don't hold back on me. Give me the word. Give me the truth. Stay in the word, beloved. Stay in the word and preach the word. Preach the word. I don't care what Fox News is saying. I don't care what other things are saying. I don't care what the society is saying or the trend is saying. Preach the word. Preach the word. Know the word in order that you can preach the word. And I tell you this, and I want to ask the ushers if they will get ready and begin to serve the communion. We're going to close right now with a communion service. We're just going to serve you and we're just going to worship the Lord. And we're just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and and give him our worship and our love. And we're going to ask the Lord to move in our life to make us believers. I want to be a believer. I want a faith that, that upsets my way of life. I want to be attached to Jesus. I want to be entwined with him. When Paul was telling Timothy that they're leading me out to death, he asked Timothy to get to him as quickly as he can to please get there before winter as the the ushers are serving you communion. He said to Timothy, please get here before winter. Paul said, bring my coat. Beware of this guy, Alexander. He did us a lot of harm. He stood against the new covenant. He stood against God's grace. He challenged me and nobody, nobody stood with me. I felt so all alone as I was defending the gospel of grace. 
as I was expounding the new covenant and preaching the incredible righteousness of God that is giving, given to man through Jesus Christ, this man withstood me. Nobody, nobody wanted to be associated with me, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. So come, Timothy. Bring John Mark with you. Luke is attending to me. My time is at hand. Jesus is my hero. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, who I worship. I'm captivated by God. The contradiction of my life is I don't understand how easily I do things that offend God. So much of me only wants to do the things that please God. The old nature, the new in battle. But this communion that you're being served today represents the one who fought that battle. The one who fulfilled the law so that he could remove it and we could have easy access to God. But it sure wasn't easy to remove it. For he died. He was whipped. He was, he was beaten. And by his stripes, we are healed. God has taken that righteousness of his son, his only son, and said to a world of bad men and women, if you will believe him, if you will not doubt, believe in him, I will give you his righteousness. I will not impute your sin. I will remove your sin and I will get it out of my presence. I will remove all records of your transgression if you will believe and not doubt that's what he did for us Jesus is my hero I'm captivated by Jesus how beautiful how absolutely beautiful is the Lord I worship you, Lord. I honor you. I thank you that you have given everything. And I thank you that you have made this whole life dependent upon you, yourself, the power of your spirit. You give us grace and you give us faith so that we can live in good works. 
we can watch you produce in our heart the attitude and the character and the life that you want us to live. And no man, no woman will ever be able to boast before you that they made themselves anything. You did it. It was your loving kindness. So that in the ages to come, you could reveal that loving kindness that you've shown us. And this morning, we love you. This morning, we worship you. And as you, you, you take that communion, you hold that, I want to say to you, the end of the world is upon us. This is a good thing. Very soon, listen to this. Very soon, it will all be over. The last missionary will board the last flight to some distant land for the gospel's sake. Very soon, someone is going to have the privilege of kneeling down with a soul that is coming into the kingdom of God. And it was the last soul God was waiting for. He's going to come and get his church. Very soon, the missionaries will, for the last time, cross the mountains, go into the valleys and the darkness of the jungles. Very soon, you're going to be given your last chance to share the gospel with your friend, your neighbor, your family. Very, very soon. And it's gone. It's all over. For some of you here this morning, very soon, you're going to be given your last chance to receive God's loving and gracious invitation to your soul and your heart. Come to me and live. For I've loved you with an everlasting love. And today is the day of your salvation. Don't harden your heart. Just lay it at his feet. Just lay it down before him. You will come into the greatest relationship you ever dreamed possible. The life and the liberty and the cleanliness and the holiness of Jesus. Very soon, you'll be given that one last chance to lay your treasure in heaven. Very soon you'll be given the last chance to give your tithe, to give your offering. Your last chance to repent. Take it now. Worship the Lamb now. By His grace and patience, He's given us this day. Express the joy of the Lord 
even in the trials that we might be called upon to face, for the King is worthy. As we take this communion this morning, I ask you to remember Jesus, His triumph, His victory, His promise, because very soon, this will be your last chance to take it here before we share it with him there. Very soon, this is your last chance to believe in him you have not seen. Be blessed. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you that you are with us. Our Jehovah Shammah, our Jehovah Sidkenu, righteousness, Jehovah Shalom, our peace.